Hello, and welcome to the Financial Emancipation Podcast. I'm your host, Malik Branch, and this is a podcast discussing the ways in which you can walk towards your financial emancipation, getting free from the burden of your finances. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Happy 2021. Happy three years. Uh, three years? 2018, 19, 20, 21. I think this is th- three, four years we've been doing this for a while, okay? So happy, happy anniversary to this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, sticking with me. Last year was a very challenging year, um, just given the way the year went. And so I'm so glad to enter 2021. I'm so happy and grateful to be here into a new year. Um, So many new things. I'm in a new decade. My birthday passed. I turned 40. A new, new decade. I already feel the remnants of being 40. I feel like, you know, that everyone keeps telling me, like, there's all this attitude where you're just going to be like, focus on you and focus on what you want. And I kind of feel like I was like that already, but I definitely am starting to feel like I'm coming into the like, what? I'm 40. I'm a grown woman. Like, don't even look at me kind of thing. So I feel that right now. So, um, so I'm happy about that. Happy birthday. It was a great birthday. Um, and I am... You know, I'm excited about what the new decade can bring. So that's a huge thing. Um, We're in a new year. Um, So hopefully we left behind a lot of the craziness that was 2020. 2020. And I hope that, you know, for those, those of us who struggled last year through COVID, through personally either having COVID or knowing someone who had COVID or losing someone to COVID, um, it, it was a hard year on that front. And I really hope that, um, 2021 is better. Um, for those who had financial struggles in 2020, I hope that somewhere around this corner is coming some relief for you. Um, there are a lot of things I'm going to discuss today that can be helpful for those who are still struggling through the, the effects of COVID, have lost your job, are struggling with the after effects of having lost a job. Maybe you're underemployed right now. Maybe you're concerned about being unemployed. You know, I want to stress to everyone listening that, you know, if you made it through 20, let me just say this, 2020, what happened in the immediate financially as far as economically for 2020 was the thing that was like going to happen right away. But there are some long-term economic impacts to what happened in 2020 that will that we will feel for the next decade and will change the landscape of work in the same way that... The 2008 crisis changed the landscape of work the same way that after 9-11, the landscape of work changed. Um, After major events, major catastrophic events, economic catastrophic events, the landscape of work changes. And a lot of times it doesn't go back. So sometimes there are jobs that we once had and that were high performing jobs and jobs where people earned a lot of money. You see every time there are these crises, it's not just the low earning folks who take the hits because there will always be low, low earning work. And that is because we are a society that depends on service. And it's, you know, this is, this is one of the shameful things about our society, but we depend on being a society where others can serve you. And if you are a society that depends on that, there will always be service work because people um, people who have expect to be served by others who don't. It's, it's, a, it's really deep because it's based on the fact that this is a society that was built upon the bedrock of slavery. And therefore, um, it, is, it is one where you will always be um, expecting, looking, waiting for 
folks to take care to take care of you um or serve you and so it's it's a bit of a relic of of our basic society how we were how we came up but it just is how it is so there will always be service work and therefore and service work never pays what it should so there will always be low there will always be a shift and there will always be additional low low earning um, jobs and a lot of times people like what people are calling it now is it that we're living a gig economy so you have the ubers uber eats uh, the instacarts the you know things where you can do that on the side and some people are are really pulling their whole lives together with multiple what they call gig um gig gig a gig economy these are different gigs and sometimes people do that you know the gig used to be waitressing like there were other things because like if you were an actor or you were a musician or you needed a flexible job you did gig work like you worked as a waitress and that way you could you know do what you need to do during the day and waitress at night or wait, be a waiter so it's things like that so those kind of jobs will be there the unfortunate part is that there are middle income or high earning jobs that will disappear and will never return this is where you see these different shifts you saw it happen with the um with manufacturing um you saw that happen with a lot of um customer service jobs you see that happening now with um Jobs that we have learned through the pandemic can be done at home, um, can be done with less people, um, and you're seeing that now. So you will see the remnants of what what will come of this long after we're out of this. When we're back outside and we're back doing things, you will see, see some of those jobs that people are concerned about have gone away, you know people who work in arenas, people who work concerts, festivals, things like that, those jobs will come back because we will get back, we will get back festivals and concerts and all that stuff. That will happen when, I'm not sure, but we will get it back. We will get back um, sports. We will get all those things back that people are like, oh my God, those jobs are gone. They're gone temporarily. But what won't come back is like right now, you'll see that there were they might've still been receptionists in your office maybe. And I mean, that if that's a, that's a, that's a possibility because it probably was very short staffed in that way you'll see that receptionists will probably make their permanent exit because we've learned that, you know, there's other ways you can do this. Um, you will see that if there were six people doing a job before, you will see now there'll probably be four and those four people will be working from home or two of them will work from home. The company can save money on, on retail space, on commercial um, rental space. And you will have to work harder for your salary, but somebody's job is going to be gone. These are the kind of things that companies are doing right now. They're making those assessments. They're looking, especially if you work for a for-profit company, they're looking at the bottom line. If you work for a not-for-profit company, they're looking at the fact that funding is going to be, there's going to be a struggle for funding for the next couple of years. Um, if you work for government, there's going to be a tax-based problem because when people don't work, they don't pay taxes, they don't buy, they don't pay taxes. There's a tax-based problem, which basically leads to um, reduced funding in government. So you are going to see that and it will have a longer impact than just this. Um, I always tell this story, but I think it's a perfect time to remind folks. I started working um, in budget in city budget in 2007. Actually, it was no, it was September of 2007. I started to work there. This was, this was the lead up to the huge financial crisis collapse that we were, um, we were about to walk into New York City was already feeling it um, because we had started to see the downturn of, of the of what had been a little bit of a high from 9-11, the 9-11 rebound. So we were starting to see it at the time, you know, we could see that the, the that we needed to start making some reductions. And so I, I started working there in September and we began to make budget cuts. 
And I and I have been interviewing that summer, as a matter of fact, because when I came out of grad school, I had interviewed for a number of cities, um, including the including the state of New Jersey to do to be a budget analyst there. And on the interview, the person asked me, was I comfortable making serious budget cuts? Because that's the, that was where they were going to be. And I graduated from grad school in 2005, six. Like, so I can't, I was like interviewing in 2006. They were like, you know, we're about to go through an economic crisis, et cetera. And so um, all we did was cut. I mean, I, I worked there for five years in that one, one job. And we cut continuously for four of those five years. Every single budget plan was a reduction, reduction, reduction. And it was because we were, again, ahead of what the financial crisis and then the financial crisis hit and then it got even worse. And then we were into like the 2000, the bubble, housing bubble, 2008, 2009, 2010. It went on for a while and it took until about 2012 for the city to fully rebound in that way. So that was four years after the crisis kind of hit and people maybe thought it was over. It wasn't. And this will be similar. Um, and there will be you know long lasting remnants that will come from it. And, that, and, and even when the government, the federal government is willing to intervene as the new administration appears to be willing to intervene financially, you still see a lot of the remnants of that. So this last year where the federal government wasn't willing to intervene, the struggle for cities and local state you know, governments got even worse. The struggle for small businesses got worse. The struggle for companies got worse. And so, well, not all companies because the highest level companies made up, made out like bandits, but the struggle becomes worse for those. And so now you will see that that will start to turn the corner, but it's still gonna take a while. So just brace yourself, be prepared financially, um, be prepared mentally for what is going to be a challenge next couple of, challenging next couple of years for all of us financially um, in one way, shape or form. If you're planning to retire soon or like things like that, you have to be more conscious of that because your investments and things like that may take different hits over the next couple of courses in the next couple of years. So you have to plan accordingly if you're thinking about retirement. So to start off 2021, like I do every year, I want to go back to the basics of why I started this podcast, what my philosophy is on financial freedom and financial emancipation. And basically I have five steps to, to, towards, to walk you towards your financial emancipation that are just like the, they're just like the, basically these, this is the, for me, this is the, the foundation, right? These five steps. And so the first one is to stop being afraid to talk about money. And again, this podcast tells you exactly that, but that is what my philosophy is. We have to talk about money. Money is not your enemy. Your attitude towards money is. So we can work together to fix that. But the first thing you have to do is be willing to discuss money openly and discuss money honestly. How you feel about money, what you do with your money. This is in relationships. This is with your friends. This is with people in your life. This is at work. This is when you want to discuss salaries. You have to be willing to talk about money. Money is not something that should be taboo that we shouldn't talk about. Be willing to talk about money. Stop being afraid to talk about money is one of the first steps. The second one is respect the money you have. You know, many people sit around and they talk about, I can't wait till I have this much money because that's what I'm gonna do. And I can't wait. Whatever you have, you need to respect the money that you have. Wishing for more money does not do anything to enhance your relationship with the money that you already have. So think about it like this. If you don't respect the money you have, why on earth would the universe allow for you to have more? So if you can't manage the $40,000 you make, why do you think that miraculously, if you made $100,000, you'd be better at it? Well, if you don't have any respect for the the, the, the $5,000 you have in your savings, why would you think that if someone gave you $100,000, you would do any better? 
know that you have to respect the money that you have. Respect it means treat it properly, honorly, honor, honorably, <laughs> and and do the right do right by it and have it work for you. That has to happen whether you have ten dollars or ten thousand dollars. This one is a big one that I think people don't pay enough attention to honoring your debts. Listen, it is not cute to owe people money under no circumstances, right? But it is not cute to owe people money and act like you don't, okay? And that includes people and companies. Listen, owing a personal company and not a debt and not making every effort to pay those debts is a dishonorable way to handle your money and a dishonorable way to handle people. It's quite disrespectful. And it doesn't build you any good favor in the universe. There's no good that can come from when you borrow money. Listen, if you had to borrow the money, you needed it, right? Particularly when you're dealing with people. Um, you know, and if it could t- if you can hear the tinge in my voice, know that it is real. I do not like that. If you had to borrow money from someone, that means when you were in need, someone helped you out. You have no right to not pay them back or make every effort to pay them back or talk about why you can't pay them back. You must honor your debts. The next thing is to track your money. A lot of people think that money is just going to function in the background somewhere as if it's an app running on its own. Money doesn't work that way. You have to look at your money. You have to examine it. You have to put it where it belongs. Your money is not going to go where where, where, where where it belongs. It's going to go wherever you put it, but it's not going to go where it belongs. You have to do that. Track your money. Like anything else that's important to you. You wouldn't tell me you don't know where your kids are. You wouldn't tell me you don't know where your car is. You wouldn't tell me you don't know where your job is. You have to track the things that are important to you. And you should always know where your money is. You should know that it is safe. You should know that it's accounted for. You should know how it's being like how it's being allocated. You should know all the time, consistently. If I call you up right now and say, how much money do you have in your bank account right now? You should not be like, huh, I don't know, I haven't checked in two weeks. No, that's crazy. Track your money, know where it's at. And finally, decide what you value and allocate your money accordingly. Listen, a a budget or money, how you spend your money is a reflection of your values. And so if I go through what you've spent for the last month and I see that all your money gets spent on takeout, I'm gonna assume that you are a food connoisseur, right? Because that is what you are showing is important. So you have to decide what's important to you and allocate your money accordingly. If you are telling me with your mouth that you are, it is important to you to have a healthy retirement because you don't want to work. Oh, people tell me this all the time. I don't want to work past the age of 50, 60, whatever random age they pull up. And then you pull up their budget and you look at their contributions to their retirement and it's like the bare minimum. I'm like, well, then that's not going to get you there. So your, 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 your money actions are not in line with your money goals and, uh, it sounds like money dreams because if you're saying you want to retire by the time you're 60 and you are contributing the bare minimum, if at all, to your retirement, then what you're saying is just a dream and not an actual goal. So you know how I feel about that? We have to translate goals. We have to cl- translate all that dreaming into actual goals and goals require action. So if you're saying that you want to retire early, you need to be contributing the maximum amount to your retirement that you can under the penalty of like breaking the tax laws, right? You need to be contributing the max to that. You need to be making different type of moves, right? You need to be looking to pay your house off sooner. Like you have to be doing things so that at the time when you turn 60, you can do that. If you're telling me you want to buy a house and you have zero savings, you're not in line with what you're saying. Do Decide what's important to you and then act accordingly. And so that is important. Those five, it's like I like to remind us in the beginning of the year because it's like you have to kind of get your footing and that's a basic for your footing. Like you have to stop being afraid to talk about money. 
You have to be a willing to honor your debts. You have to be someone who can who can decide what you want is important and act accordingly. You have to align yourself with the with the goals and dreams. You have to align your dreams with with your goals and have them be actionable goals so that you can move towards your financial emancipation. And all those things help you to start there. And if you're new to listening, if you go back to like the first couple of episodes, there's um I, I go over each of those in depth. Um, like I spent a whole episode on each of those um those tenets of financial emancipation. So if you want to head back and get more dive deeper into that, you can. This is a good time in the new year too to dive back on some of the things that I've covered because um in the last couple of years we're up to um, I mean we're up to episode two hundred I believe, and so it's it's not there's so many things that I've covered I've covered them multiple times so it's kind of like you you have to go back in there and see and see what you what you want to hear about and you, there's something there the topic is there i wanted to talk a little bit now switching the little gears um to talk about what's happening in the world i'm not going to spend a lot of time on january 6th i'm not going to spend a lot of time on on that because we already know what that is and i don't i i, I could do a whole separate podcast about america and it's it's children but um instead I'm going to focus on what you need to, what some trends that I'm seeing online. So it, when I'm not podcasting and working and living, et cetera, I'm, I spend a lot of time, you know, looking on social media, watching what people are saying, looking, cause I think it, it's, it helps me to bring topics to discuss on the podcast. So the internet has been cracking and popping, talking about, all these different ways in which you can survive the pandemic, all these different ways in which, you know, Joe Biden being elected is going to mean X, Y, Z, and ABC. Oh, there's the PPE, the PPP money. There's all these things. And there's a lot of nonsense out there. And I, I, I get sad because I think that there are a lot of people who are less educated about finances that are going to follow trends on the internet and find themselves in federal prison. Um, the feds are not to be played with. Um, they look and live for making cases, um, money cases, and you will go to jail. So let's talk about some of that. Um, and um, the increase um, enforcement under the new administration that the DOJ will have will allow for much more of this. Okay, so new leadership is going to really be focused on people who have been fraudulent when it comes to PPP. PPP is uh, payroll protection, PPP, payroll protection program ppp <laughs> i forgot that last week like what is that p that was a program that was the kind that came up during the pandemic to help small businesses be who have a payroll to be able to kind of take a bridge in order to get through the pandemic period which at that point when they did it they thought we were going to be through a short pandemic three months six months etc turns out it was not that so ppp was not that successful in the sense that it might have helped some people bridge um the initial kind of whoa whoa the fault the, the floor is falling out from underneath us and we need some help and it probably didn't do much more than that but okay but it was long so it was for in most instances it was a loan you didn't have to pay back which made it a grant which was really good and if, and you only had to pay pay it back on what i believe and again i'm no expert in it so please feel free to correct me if you um ended up laying people off anyway so you this was a way to keep people on payroll so there were many mod there were different versions of this there were different types of loans under the program but more recently, the internet was a buzz telling people again because there's this app called Clubhouse. If you're not on there, don't worry about it. But it's there, and Clubhouse is there, and people on Clubhouse telling other people, people who basically have no business telling people anything, and um, 
I always say when you take financial advice from people, check their credentials because Lord Jesus. So um, they're telling people, get an LLC, form an LLC, which costs about $500 in the state of New York, form an LLC um, based on whatever, whatever business, and then apply for this um, PPP grant, which is $10,000. And um, now you flipped 500 into 10,000, even though your business, you, your business doesn't have, you don't have a business. They were, just, they were saying, just form an LLC and you'll be able to apply for it and you'll get it. So this is the new scam that scammers are doing, right? Unfortunately, I, in my neighborhood, there was someone who was murdered, two young guys fighting over this PPP money and one got murdered, right? Let me tell you something real quick. To form an LLC that is not a business um, with no intention of being a business and no actual business uh, to stand for it is already starting to chart into, into problem areas. To form that LLC with the sole intention of getting a loan or a grant from the government that you are then not going to spend on your business is what they call illegal and fraudulent. You go on ahead if you want to, you will be seeing the judge and the federal judges don't play. Stop it. <laughs> Do not get, let me tell you something. Get rich quick schemes are just that. There's a scheme. Somebody's scheming. There's a scheme in there somewhere. And if you play around with the wrong scheme, you will be on the wrong end of a fuck of a jail visit. Don't do it. It's not, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. If you have a business, a legitimate business, and you want to apply for things and you're going to take that money, invest it in your business, that makes sense. Do not listen to these people telling you, oh, that's a quick way to get $10,000. That's a quick way to go to jail. And you may not go to jail now, but you will eventually be caught. It's not worth it. Trust me, it's not worth it. So the new administration is going to be focused heavily on people who are trying to defraud the government because we just had a whole administration of defrauding the government. So you will get caught up in that. And then you will be end up somewhere in jail when you didn't need to be. So it's not worth it. Don't do it. Okay. That's just, I'm going to put that out there. The other thing that's floating around the internet that I noticed amongst my people, my black people, I love y'all, but I was watching it and I was like, what is happening? Right. It's this idea that we should all buy stocks. Oh, buy stocks. Everybody's telling people to buy stocks, buy stocks, buy stocks. Listen, I am not opposed to buying stocks. I think people should invest in the stock market. It's, it's, it, you know, if you have the money to invest, here's the big thing about investments, right? I tell people this all the time. Investments are gambles in certain senses, the stock market being one of them. I'm not saying when you invest on a large scale, like your 401k or your pension or in some sort of bank, um, when you're utilizing a company, you know, you're using one of the investment firms, et cetera. When you yourself are sitting there, you know, and you're looking at stocks and people are like, yeah, buy stocks of the things you use, buy Peloton, buy Amazon, buy Disney, you know, buy this, buy that. Um, you know, you are risking it. You're playing, you're, you're risking things and that's okay. If you have the money, listen, if you, if you got $500, you're like, listen, I want to go buy some stocks and see what happens. It's great. Understand that the stock market is a long-term game. And it's a game that people play where they know when to, they know when to pull out and when not, right? It's a gambling, right? It's like me sitting there at the, at the roulette table. I just keep playing. I got to know when, to, what they say, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. No, like you got to know what to do. So if you investing in stocks because you're just hearing everyone else, and again, I, God, please research these things because everyone is tapping around on the Facebooks and the clubhouses and the Twitters and telling everybody to invest in stocks. And everybody, you know, I'm getting calls from people who I'm like, you what? You want to invest in what? It's almost as if people just found out about the stock market, which again, and I'm not saying that to be like, to be nasty about it or to be, 
whatever but it's like why now like who told y'all about this and that's how i knew the internet was talking with foolishness because i could tell from the people who was mentioning like what girl what why are you who told y'all about this like you were always able to invest in stocks not a new thing it's not like some new gate got opened and now everyone no it's been there so what's going on okay everybody's telling everybody to invest in stocks okay I'm not saying you shouldn't invest in stocks. I'm saying that the stock market is a long-term strategy, right? With And it's a game and you gotta be willing to play the game. The people who win at that game are people who want to have a lot of money to invest. And when they invest in it, they know when to pull out, when to stick it, when to keep it in. That sounded really bad, but you know what I mean? They know how to play the game, right? And there's a big component to this that I think a lot of people who I've been hearing from who are new to this are forgetting, So let me tell you about a little thing called capital gains tax, right? The fact of the the matter is that when a lot of these tax plans and bills come out, a lot of us um, who may or may not be as, as, as have as much money invested in different things, um, we, we don't really listen to all of the things that people, other people are complaining about because we think that does not impact us, Right. So we're like, what, who, what, who cares, right? So when they're talking about, you know, Donald Trump comes in, him and the Republican Congress, they want to change all these laws around taxes. They're not really talking about me, you, right? They're not talking about, oh, I want to make it so that, you know, regular John Smith pays. They're talking about people who have money, right? And you've heard this terminology go along a lot, a lot. The capital gains tax, the capital gains tax, people said they want. So what happens is, The capital gains tax is a tax that you have to pay when you earn money, when you get a profit basically from selling an asset that's not like an actual thing. So if you don't, if you sell your house, that's an actual thing. That's an actual asset. That's not what capital gains is. Capital gains tax is something on a non-inventory asset. So an asset that is not a real thing. So it's really stocks, bonds, you know, things like that. So when you sell, when you sell it, um, when you sell property, depending on, what kind of investment it is, what kind of property it is that can happen. But really not when you like sell your initial house per se, but when you, if you have investment properties that can happen, but a capital gains tax is when you're going to get taxed on when you made a profit. Right. And so people who are on the other side of this tax argument are fighting to have the capital gains tax lowered. They want to pay a lower percentage on the, the profits they make from capital gains. Right. And so, you're saying to yourself, I want I want to pay less. 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 They're saying that. So then they, they fight with the government and whatever. You get a person in like Trump and his crew and they reduce the capital gains tax, right? But we want people to pay more money on that because those are people with more money. That's just my opinion. Okay. So capital gains tax can be like 20%. It, it's, it's at times it's been like 30%. Like it can be very high. And therefore it takes you to say, listen, if I am making, let's say I made income this year of $100,000, but then I made $40,000 because I, I, I sold some taxes and I, I mean, sorry, I sold some taxes. Isn't that funny? I sold some stocks. I basically cashed in and I sold, I sold them and I made a profit. So I, I bought them at, you know, it was valued at $1,000. When I sold them, it was valued at $50,000. I made a $40,000 profit. Um, Right, I said that right. I bought them at 10, 
they now 50. I made $40,000 profit. Okay. So made a $40,000 profit. The $40,000 that I made in profit is now going to be taxed differently as far as my income than the rest of my income. So that $40,000 will be subject to capital gains tax. And now I have to pay a, a higher percentage on that than I do on my regular um, tax, you know, ta my regular income. I say all that to say that if you are someone who's going to make a $40,000 profit, you're not, maybe, maybe you're not as concerned as about the capital gains tax. But if you're someone who's never had stocks, never sold stocks, you've always been able to pass that question on your taxes, this is a new question you would have to check yes to. Don't check yes and get your ass audited and get in trouble. You gotta check yes, right? Now, when you do that, you are subject to capital gains tax. You have to pay the taxes on that. If that's something that's new to you, you may find that the initial windfall that you thought you got is going to come back around and get you on the taxes. Still not saying don't do it. I'm saying be fully aware because when Twitter, LLC Twitter and financial advice Twitter is telling you to start investing in stocks and black people, you need to start investing in stocks. I don't know why. Know that there's a whole story to that. And if you're going to start investing in stocks, you may want to consider getting yourself an accountant. And that's another bit of money you need to spend. Getting an accountant. Because if you are going to be making those kind of moves within the game, you need to have someone whose job it is to make sure you are properly uh, aligning and properly accounting for your income and then properly designating assets you can pay the appropriate taxes. Also, an accountant will help you to find all the deductions and stuff that comes along with having those type of um, profits so to make it so that you may come out whole at the end. But if you don't know what you're doing, this is not the time to be at TurboTax. This is not the time to be at, you know, H&R Block. If you are someone who's out here now thinking you're going to dip and dab in, 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 in the stock market, get you an accountant. That is my takeaway for that. Um, you know, again, I don't say you shouldn't invest. I'm saying know what you're getting yourself into. And investments when it comes to your income and your taxes, there's a ramifications for that. Know what you're getting yourself into. Okay? All righty. So, um... I talked a lot. About, I talked earlier about your financial, your your alignment of your finances should be your finances should be in line with your um your goals, and you should have those things lined up. So I'm not going to truly belabor that, but I want to get into something that's really, and I want to go over. This is my little rant for 2021. Welcome if you're new here and you you've heard all you wanted to hear about things that are financially emancipated related, um, and you don't want to hear a soapbox. You can pause here and then you can uh, fast forward a little bit and then get to the end when I wrap up about my own personal financial goals. If you're not interested in a little bit of a soapbox, but I promise you it won't be too long. But it is this, you know. The new Biden administration is coming in and talking about they're going to raise the minimum wage. Now, let's just also be clear about something very candidly. The president of the United States only has the right to influence directly by executive order federal laws as it relates to payments of people's wages. So what he can designate and say that federal employees, there will be a change to the minimum wage for any federal employees. Now, not all federal employees work in D.C. Federal employees are across the entire state, the entire United States. But. He has, the, he has the power and authority to say that he can change the minimum wage for a federal employee the same way your governor has the right to change the minimum wage in the states that you live in. So the, pre, the president-elect who will be president tomorrow, praise him. Not, not the president, praise God, because we need, we need a new president. Um, will be, it has made it one of his things that he would like to raise the minimum wage for federal employees to $15. 
Okay. And again, here's the point where I need everybody to understand facts and figures before you make these declarative statements about what should or should not happen. Okay, so Joe Biden is saying, when I become president, I'm signing an executive order, we're going to raise the federal minimum wage to $15. Now, $15 an hour is not a lot of money. Okay, you cannot take care of a family. You cannot live lavishly on $15 an hour. So we need to stop that narrative, okay? $15 an hour, we're going to do some math today. $15 an hour, okay? If you work a job where you work 15, you make $15 an hour. And, and a lot of times these are not full-time jobs where you are receiving benefits or anything. So let's just say straight up, you, you, you make $15 an hour and you work 40 hours a week. That is $600 a week, right? So you times that by four, that's $2,400 a month before taxes, okay? Before taxes. So if you are one person and you're making $2,400 a month before taxes, let's just say that most people pay about a 30% tax rate, which means you're gonna get you're gonna pay about $720 in taxes off that $2,400, right? So that's $2,400 minus that $720. You're gonna come home with $1,600, $1,680 a month, give or take. Let's just say you bring home $1,700 a month. There's not a place where I know, right, did I know that you can really pay rent for less than $1,000? I can tell you for sure and for certain you cannot pay rent in New York City for less than $1,000, okay? But maybe there are places, but even in the places that used to be like, oh, you still got cheap rent, those places, a one-bedroom apartment is $1,000, right? So if you bring home $1,600, $1,700 a month, exactly how much living are you supposed to be able to do as a, as a person who's supposed to take care of yourself? Because if you have to eat, and have transportation, and you have to, you know, pay your other bills, and you still don't, we talk about somebody who probably doesn't work full-time, who does not have health care, and et cetera. Exactly what are you doing with $15 an hour, right? But it's a minimum. It's a minimum. Because right now, there are people making less than that as a minimum. And we all know that companies will do everything in their power to pay people the minimum that they have. So if the government doesn't say, hey, the minimum you can pay people is a living wage, because a company will pay you, it will be fine paying you $8 an hour to do whatever they want you to do. Because as I said earlier in the podcast, we are a nation. Capitalism itself is built off of slavery and slave labor. So people who make a lot of money do, from something, they like to make that money based off the hard work and the labor of people who they do not either do not compensate at all or they compensate as little as possible so that they can re retain the greatest benefit. We, that is the history. That is exactly what slavery was built off. That is what capitalism is. The foundation of capitalism is slavery. And that is because you can make money off of labor from people where you don't have to compensate them. Okay, so here we are where Joe Biden is saying he wants to raise the federal minimum wage to $15. Let's start with the fact that if you do not have a federal job, this does not impact you, one. Because he can only do that for federal jobs. But what it does is it sets a precedent. It says that the, the minimum wage should be higher. So if you live in a certain state, you can have, they, they can say the minimum wage, your, your governor can change the minimum wage in your state. But what I saw on the internet from people talking about why would you raise the minimum wage? That means the person who works at McDonald's is going to be making $15 an hour. Okay, stop back, go back to facts. Joe Biden is talking about raising the minimum wage for federal employees. The last time I checked, McDonald's was a private company and it is not they are not federal employees. So his act of changing that $15 an hour will not impact McDonald's. But I digress. Even if it did, the, the, the minimum wage in New York State is changing. It has been progressively changing. Governor Cuomo signed that a few years ago. 
So at some point in, in New York State, it will be $15 an hour for someone who it works at McDonald's. The fact that you have a problem with that says a lot more about you than anything else. Let me explain to you why. A minimum wage is the minimum wage of what it sh- people should be able to be paid. The minimum wage should have a name change. It should be called a living wage, meaning a basic standard of income that a person can make because they're working. We're not talking about people who aren't working. We're talking about people who are going to a job every day. And if you don't understand that, because someone said, you know, I, I work at, I, I saw someone in there say, I work at some company and I help put together airplanes and I make $15 an hour. You're telling me somebody who flips burgers should make the same as me. No, what we're saying, sir, is that you are getting paid uh, yourself slave, slave wages. Because if you are putting together the parts to make an airplane, they shouldn't be paying you more than $15 an hour. But that doesn't mean that the person who flips the burgers should be getting paid should not be getting paid 15. 15 is what is making everybody basically able to live and and take care of themselves. We have to stop this classism because we have a lot of problems in America. One of them is classism. And a lot of times we as black people who are people or, or people of color in general who have been oppressed like to participate in the oppression of other people through the realm of classism. So we will sit here and think, I went to college, I did this and that because we are looking at everyone's looking to be better than someone else. And then start to talk about what the minimum wage should be because you believe that there's no skill to, you know, to to working at McDonald's or working at Chick-fil-A or working at wherever or working as a a house cleaner or working as, you know, a a dog walker or working as any of these, these jobs that people decide doesn't require skill, except when your ass is inside of the McDonald's going crazy off because the person messed up your order. So now you are pissed off and you think this person should be able to do their job better. This person is making a wage that does not even allow them to feed their family. How dare you? Right? During this pandemic, it is the grocery store workers. It is the people who worked in food service. It is the little delivery people, the laundry people, the people who clean. Those people got us through the early days of this pandemic by still going to work. How dare anybody sit and say that those people who are doing that kind of work that you couldn't even do for yourself, those people should not be making a living wage. It is shameful. It is shameful. It is shameful. Get educated on what this means. Talk to people who are economists. Read up on things that, that you, you can read. There are studies done on what the minimum wage and why we should raise it and what it impacts and how it truly impacts you. Because yes, what the co- reason companies don't want the minimum wage to increase has nothing to do with the people who make a minimum wage. It has to do with the people who don't make a minimum wage because you'd have to pay those people more too. Because as everyone's wages go up, the wages should be going up. But if you look at data, it will tell you that as far as, as costs have gone up, wages have not gone up. That's a problem for everybody along the, the spectrum until you get to the super rich who this is designed to protect. But everybody from the person making minimum wage to the person making 50,000 to the person making 80 to the person making 120 is suffering when wages do not increase at the same rate as cost do. Okay? You cannot sit here, <clears throat> excuse me. You cannot sit here and 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 be from a position on a on a pedestal that you believe that people who are coming into the workforce should not be earning a minimum wage that is livable. And think that that doesn't impact you, who's also earning a wage. Everyone, the, the boat, what did they say? The, the boat rises. I can't even get that together now, but you know what I mean. We need to rise, raise everyone up. And we need to stop 
reaching back and trying to put our foot on the necks of people who are coming up or people who are earning low wages or into entry level jobs or whatever you want to call it because it is classism. It is classism. And we as the recipients of the isms should not be participating in classism in order to, to put our foot on the necks of other people because we are, we know what it's like to have someone with their foot on your neck. That is my soapbox. So, Whew, I have seen too much of it on the Twitters and I don't like it and I want everyone to stop it and I don't have the time, space or energy to call it out on every time but I see it and I don't like it. <laughs> okay, soapbox over. So if you're rejoining us, I think that was what, 10 minutes? I didn't go too long. Okay, so now I wanna close out this episode because it's getting kind of long. Talking to you about my own personal financial goals for 2021. Um, you know, I have been really, I spent 2020 aggressively um, saving. I always tell you guys I have one credit card that I use. I have other credit cards and I have a lot of available credit but I only have one credit card that I use I use my American Express card I get my 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 points etc and I like it and I only use my credit card to make really big purchases so I can get the most points and then I'm very diligent about paying it down and so by the end by 20 by December beginning of December for 2020 I had paid off my American Express card it was a balance of maybe let's say $500 and I was like okay great but then I decided that I want to have the most elaborate Christmas and um, the most elaborate birthday celebration because I was turning 40. And so I ran up my um, my Amex card buying Christmas gifts and celebrating my 40th birthday. And so that was a couple of thousand dollars. Um, I think the balance now is close to four, like $4,500 I spent between all of that. And I don't regret it. It was good times. Had a good time. Um, but it's time to pay it off again. But I want to make a one point to you. First of all, my credit score from December to January, after I had basically had, I had probably have like almost thirty thousand dollars in available credit. When I spent my, when I ran up my credit card bill to buy buy probably about four thousand dollars, my credit score dropped thirty seven points. So. I think credit scores are just a ridiculous scam, but I just wanted to make the highlight to you that the significance of your available credit dropped my credit score 37 points in one month. Um, it'll get back, but it was just like, wow, what if I was really planning to do something this month? Anyway, um, so um, I'm paying that off this month. I'll be paying that off within this month and, and the month of February. But my financial goals for 2021 is that I want to... Um, double my savings allocation per month. So currently, um, and this is a moment of transparency I'm gonna be with you guys, is that um, I currently save about $1,500 a month. So I have multiple savings accounts. I have three separate savings accounts. So this is something that is, is really, I've said this in many podcasts before when we talk about savings. Also, I am a person with multiple, I bank with multiple institutions because I have seen what happens when an institution, when you can, something gets compromised and I don't like to have my money in one place. So I, I bank with bank of America as my standard bank. And then I use other banks. Um, I use other banks for savings and different allocations. And I have my have three different institutions that I bank with. So, um, I save $1,500 a month between those three places, institutions where I have, um, where I have savings accounts. So I have money that is withdrawn directly from my, either from my paycheck or directly from my account, my main account that goes into three separate savings accounts every time I get paid. The total of that is $1,500. Um, uh, the total of that for the month is $1,500. Wait, 
Yes. $1,500 a month. Yes. I was like, wait, it said, yes, $1,500 a month. So for the, for 2021, I have decided to increase that by to double that so that I will be saving $3,000 per month. I tell you this, you guys, this as well to help me keep myself accountable. Um, I do automatics on these things. So once I pull the trigger on the automatic, that's it. Um, I won't change it. I will just probably be sad as I look at my money, not being in my, <laughs> not being accessible to me because I don't have any debit cards, um, for any of these other accounts where the, where the money goes into savings. So if I need it, I'd have to go into a bank branch and you know how much no one wants to do that in a pandemic. So I'm going to increase that to 3000 to 3000 per month. So I have some different things I'm saving for. Um, I need to remodel my bathroom. Um, I want to, I'm still planning on buying a home and a a second home and other things like that. So I'm going to be saving for those things. So, um, I'm going, I'm looking for this to increase my savings by $30,000 by the end of 2021. And so in order to do that, again, this is the $3,000 per month allocation, along with considering that some of it will get spent across the year, I will increase my savings by $30,000. So I have these huge, large goals for 2022, which means I got to put them, I got to put my my money where my mouth is, and I have to put my foot on the gas as far as that. So I want to have by the year end, fifty thousand dollars in accessible savings so when i say accessible savings i'm not counting like my investments my 401k my um well deferred compensation or my i have different like investment portfolios and things i'm not counting that because that is kind of that's the kind of money that has penalties if you want if you need to retrieve it i consider to be accessible money anything where you could go and get to your actual cash so i want to be able to have fifty thousand dollars in accessible cash um cash savings by the end of 2021 that is my goal. Um, and the, because 2022, I, I believe I manifest, I speak, will be a very big year for me financially where I will need to spend a lot of money in order to get the things that I'm, I'm planning for for 2022. And so I, want, I need to have that $50,000 in savings. So I'm going to be very aggressive with the savings. I have been aggressively paying down my credit, my, um, my car note. Um, so that I can kind of get rid of that a little earlier. I've been paying down on my student loans. I'm trying to rid myself of those things so that um, I will feel this this um, this doubling of the savings allocation a little bit less. And a lot of the shopping and all that stuff has to cease um, because, um, and I'm not really a big, big shopper, but sometimes when I go, I spend um, and I'm not going to do that. I went through, as an example, I went through my nightstand. I have a lot of uh, facial products and I, I love Kiehl's. I'm a little bit addicted. And I realized I have so many facial products and I don't even use them all. I was like, nope, no more trips to Kiehl's because Kiehl's is a, is a good $200 spend every time you go in there. And I was like, I'm not going in there. I bought work clothes and I've been going to work, but I haven't been really wearing my work clothes. So it's like no more clothes shopping. I know, you know, no more shoe shopping. I have shoes. I bought a lot of shoes. That was the lead up to the birthday too. Bought shoes, bought clothes. Don't need to do any, like, don't need to do any more of that. Um, I have a Peloton, which I have been on and using and getting my life with, but that was a big um, spend for me in 2020. So I, I don't need no gym memberships. Only I'm working out at home. It's great. I love my Peloton. Um, but no, there are certain things I just don't need to buy. I, I, I was able to, um, I replaced my front door. I needed to do that. That was a pretty significant purchase, but if it's not anything related to the house, I'm not going to be spending it for the foreseeable future so that I can focus myself on having these, um, these, this, this savings goal achieved. The other part of this as well 
is that, you know, I believe that our true freedom will come in 2022 where we'll be free to kind of travel and go anywhere we want. And that is when I want to be ready because when I tell you the trips that I am planning for 2022 are going to be magnificent and glorious and fabulous and they're going to require some money. So this will also help in that. So I pull the trigger and change those allocations and it will mean that I will have to make some other sacrifices. And that's a good thing because it will hold me accountable, um, you know, so that I can can do the things that I say I want to do. So that is what I'm doing for 2021 so that I can prepare for 2022. Send me, hit me on the DMs. Let me know what you're doing for 2021 so that you can have meet your financial goals. Um, I'm excited to be held accountable with my group here and and so and to manifest some great things into the future listen we had a difficult 2020 and we did not see it coming but we made it through and here we are and if you made it through in your whole if you made it through in your in parts if you made it through in your in pieces either way you made it through and you're here on the other side and then that gives you an opportunity to you know turn the page and set some goals for yourself for 2021 because we're here and we're in it this was a long episode because I haven't spoken to you guys in a couple of weeks, but I wanted to get back to you and kind of cover a bunch of things. So thank you so much for listening. And again, if you have any questions or anything, follow me on Instagram, Financial Emancipation. Um, and join if, you join, if you're on Clubhouse, you can follow me, Malik Branch. I'm on Clubhouse if you want to, you know, chit chat. And, um, you know, send me a DM or a message. You can email me at Malik, M-A-L-I-E-K at thefinancialemancipation.com. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to 2021. We are not going to claim anything, but that we are moving with one foot in front of the other. We are setting goals and we are going to do our best to achieve those goals in 2021 and beyond. Again, thank you so much for listening and have a great day.